0: This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Leroy Butler, newly Hall of Famer, Class of 22. It is a touchdown for Leroy Butler! Holy cow, On the fumble recovery!
1: And the Packers go up 20 to
0: nothing. And you listen to Iron Clark on the I-Test for Two podcast.
2: Oh, the NFL. Oh, we started with the NFL changing its overtime rule. Then we had the Buffalo Bills coming up with a new $1.4 billion stadium. Bruce Arians stepping down as head coach of Ira's and Ian's Tampa Bay Bucs. And, of course, Will Smith for the slap heard around the world. But I'll be honest with you, nothing, nothing compares to what happened today. And that's here. Ira Kaufman's bailed on us. He has bailed on us. Yeah, he decided it was more important to attend the Bruce Arians press conference than to be here. So, our producer, Mr. Ian Glendon. Ian, congratulations. You're Ira Kaufman today. That's a lot of pressure.
0: Uh, fortunately, we both only have three letters in our first name, so it's very easy <laughs> from a managerial standpoint. And, bo- and two of the same letters. So, so you know, it's just it's, it's, it's a pretty seamless transition.
2: That's why we call the show the Eye Test for Two. Um, first of all, uh, the Arians announcement uh, catch you by surprise.
0: Uh, yes and no. I mean, surprising because well, we we hadn't really you know on the outside hadn't really heard of it. Uh, not surprising because you know he's going to be seventy years old in October, and you know he's a guy who the the one thing that was you know that was avoid that he hadn't gotten yet was the Super Bowl, and he had won that so. You know, there's a sense of what else do I have to accomplish? And I I think this isn't so it's not necessarily surprising from that standpoint, just surprising that we just hadn't really heard any rumblings of this up until this point.
2: Well, as you know, the conspiracy theorists are everywhere and Tom Brady's in the middle of it. You're a Tom Brady fan. They believe that he had something to do with it. Do you believe
0: he did? Uh, No, not at all. Uh, I I, I think that is just uh, a very easy and very juicy headline that's very easy to latch on to. But I think at the end of the day, this is just very coincidental. And, and look, I mean, Bruce Arians said that the motivation behind this was to set up his team, his guys, for success in the future, given the circumstances with Brady returning. Um, you know, this was a good opportunity, opportunity for him to do that. And and if we know anything about Bruce Arians' history and the things that he's done to progress the game for, for minorities and for women, it's hard not to believe what he says isn't True. And and look, this has nothing to do with his, you know, coaching ability or anything like that. It, this is his long history of doing things right in this ballpark. So when he says that, you know, he felt this was the right time to walk away, then, yeah, I believe him. I don't think this is a drama drama between he and Brady at all. I, I think it's just, again, it's, it's easy to write that headline and, and get some attention to it. So I think that's why people are, are gravitating towards it.
2: Okay, lastly, speaking of headlines, I started by mentioning Will Smith. We all know what happened last weekend. Now the Oscars are thinking of taking action against him for what he did to Chris Rock. So my question is, what should we do with Ira for bailing on us?
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I guess I'm the only one closest proximity to him. So I don't know if we can re- recreate the slap. I, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but-, but maybe we can-, we can levy some sanctions on him or something like that in the future. You know, maybe I'll C- maybe yeah, maybe I'll recreate uh, some audio and we can pass it off as his own and, and he'll have to deal with the repercussions of that. So how about I can double seeker C- probation? Oh double yeah, C- I like double secret. Yes. yes. <laughs> I did that
2: for the Delta house. So maybe for IRA. Okay, I mentioned the NFL has changed its overtime rules and it has for the playoffs and the playoffs only. Going forward, both teams will have at least one possession in overtime. That's a change stemming from the Buffalo Bills' overtime loss to Kansas City. And that's a long way in from the original sudden death overtime rule devised by former NFL commissioner Bert Bell. Now, unfortunately, Bert is no longer with us, so he can't explain what was behind that. But we're in good, good shape because his son, former NFL executive Upton Bell, is with us. And Upton, first of all, good to have you back. Friend of the show, Wepton Bell, good to have you back. And second, um, what do you think your dad would say about the new overtime rule?
1: Well, before we even get to that, um, I want to say that the two most important things in the history of the NFL were both creations of Burt Bell. The first one was the NFL draft, and the second one was sudden death. Now, the story behind it, and I don't think I've ever told anybody this. Maybe I have, but I doubt it. The league meetings, uh, late in the 40s, maybe in the early 50s, uh, my my father had said to the owners, the All Star Game in Chicago was the biggest thing for the NFL. It was the biggest draw. I actually, had a bigger television audience because it was the Chicago All Stars against the NFL. and Of course, everybody hated the NFL. They always wanted the All-Stars to win, which, by the way, in the early years, they did. So my father said, what happens if a championship game ends up in a tie? He said, are we going to look ridiculous and say we flipped a coin, and therefore the winner that's going to play the All-Stars is really not the winner. It's one of the teams that tied. And he said, you know, it's important for the image of the league as well as rewarding the team that, that really should win the game. So, And there were owners, by the way, that were reluctant to change it the, the, the way it was. Game ends up, up in a tie, it ends up in a tie. But he said it's more important. He said it can add drama to it. It can put us on the front pages. It, it's very, very important. He finally got it pushed through and said he never thought that he'd ever see it until, of course, 1958. I was at the game and it was incredible. All of the tension around this game. A lot of people don't it also know that the Giants were the Cinderella storybook story of this whole thing. For three weeks in a row, they had New York and the part of the country really tied up in knots because basically the Giants won on the last day of the season when Pat Summerall kicked like a 49-yard field goal in the driving snowstorm to actually end up with a tie with the Browns, and then there was a playoff game. Again, New York beats the Browns. 10 to nothing in a defensive struggle, and they go on, and they are the Cinderella team coming in for the championship game against the Colts, who really, they were favored by three and a half, but I had seen the Colts earlier in the season, and I thought they kicked the hell out of the Giants, in spite of the Giants' great defense. The Colts had the incredible Lenny Moore Hall of Fame, Raymond Berry Hall of Fame, John United's future Hall of Famer, Jim Parker, future Hall of Famer. Gino Marchetti, Hall of Famer. Big Daddy Lipscomb, who should have been a Hall of Famer if he hadn't died so tragically. And I said, this this is going to be a runaway. As great as Cinderella is with the Giants, won't be close. And, of course, we saw a completely different game. In many ways, gentlemen, Shakespearean in its nature. Everything that happened could happen in, in a game like that. Six turnovers, fumbles, interceptions, uh, crazy plays, great defensive stands, great offensive, uh, you know, execution. It had everything, and even more.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Up tonight, that's the first game I ever watched as a kid. I watched that game, became an instant Baltimore Colts fan and an instant John Unitas fan. And I've got a room here where I'm talking that's surrounded by. United's photos and a uh, football that he signed for me as a kid and that I cherish. But uh, you, you're right. I mean, it, these, this new overtime rule in a sense is somewhat Shakespearean, you know, it's to beat or not to beat. Right. I mean, that's what it yeah. comes down to your dad, but dealt with, you could have a tie or you win. And, and, and they're now coming up with an idea of both teams have a possession in overtime, which might just extend the game a little bit farther and go, let me go back to the original question. What do you think your dad would say of the current, or the new overtime rule?
1: Well, first of all, let me go back to that game and give him my feeling of, of what I think he might think, is that today's rule makes everybody happy. Both teams happy. The fans happy. Uh, his whole idea wasn't necessarily happiness. It, it was the drama, as you say, back to Shakespeare. The exactly. drama. Sudden yep. death. You know what? Flip of the coin. You can the flip of the coin, your future or your past. But it, but another thing that people don't realize with all the arguments around and the rule change of of overtime today is that both teams did have the ball in overtime. The Giants won the the toss, the coin toss, and came within. And I believe I had my go- I had my binoculars on. I was exactly sitting on the 50-yard line looking right down at the measurement by Ronald Gibbs, who was the head referee. I swore that Gifford made the first down, which would have ended the whole thing, and they never would have gotten to overtime. Uh, But basically, twice in that game, once at the end of the game, with a little over two minutes left, the Giants had third and one and just missed it. And decided to punt. Again in the overtime. I thought Gifford made the first down. It was third and one. And they just missed. And both times gave the Colts first of all a chance to tie the game. Send it into overtime. And the second time forced the Giants to punt. And of course United in that magnificent. I think it was a 13 play drive. Took them in for the winning touchdown. But again everybody says because one of the things about today's generation is basically anything over 10 minutes is not their wheelhouse so <laughs> they, they no nobody is looking back the first thing that struck me when you guys called me was do people know that the, the, all the bitching and moaning about the coin toss and and 10 out of 12 times the person that the team that wins the coin toss wins the game. Well, that wasn't true in the first Immortal game when both teams had a chance. The Giants missed, and the Colts took advantage and went down and scored. So that, that, that whole fallacy goes is, is game to game. So what about today? What about the new ruling? What would Burt Bell feel like? One of the things that made him and Pete Rozelle great commissioners, was their ability to adjust. And I think that his opinion would be that that was a rule for its time. Now the game has changed. It's really offensive. Remember, in those days, yes, the Colts had a great offense. They also had a great defense. The Giants didn't have a great offense, but they had their fearsome and they And they were able to hang in because defense in the NFL in the 60s, that was the game. And today, defense, every rule written in now is to get rid of the defense. It's ridiculous. You can't touch the receiver. You can't touch the quarterback. You can't touch anybody. So in relation to this time, he probably would have said, I like my rule, but the rule for today is what the offense, the way the NFL wants it, for television and everything else like that, this now satisfies everybody. Do I particularly care for it? Not really, because they want everything to be equal. Well, you know, life isn't equal, and football is the great equalizer in that you take your chances the minute the ball is kicked off. So what's it all come back to? It's, again, the public and the coaches complaining. I never saw the greatest game I've ever seen played. And I told Peter King of Sports Illustrated this right after the game. He had called me and he said, was this greater than than the 58 sudden death championship game? I said, the Buffalo, Kansas city game was the greatest football game I've ever seen. And I've been watching since 1946. And so what happened there? Well, in my opinion, The Buffalo coach really screwed up. I mean, it it was really ridiculous what happened there. That basically, he didn't make Kansas City run the ball out, which would have taken so many seconds off the clock to me, there would be no way that they would be able to score and tie that game up and go into overtime. So they satisfied everybody. So now they've got what they want. And probably what the fans want, give both teams a chance for the ball. So I, the answer, short answer of a long, long answer is basically, I think Bert Bell would say, it's it's not what it was meant to be, but for today, that's the way it should be.
0: Uh, you know, I, I my biggest concern, and you really touched on it, and I, I think I might know the answer to this question, is that, I feel like slowly and surely, sudden death is becoming less and less a factor in this. You know, I think eventually, you know, this overtime is going to change because I think the reality of it is people are going to realize that after teams have possess each have a possession, we're right back to where we started, and whoever wins the coin toss, the the idea that they have an advantage will still exist. So I, I think, unfortunately, this is ultimately going to lead to you know a a much different overtime style which i'm i'm very much against because i agree i think sudden death is a very important factor when it comes to overtime so you know during the the creation of this was there ever a time that a just a full extra quarter was ever considered or was sudden death really the the most important factor outside of determining a winner and not having having any ties
1: well first and foremost they should no longer use sudden death. Uh, and that's funny because uh, Kurt Gowdy, in the there, there were three, to me, really great games. The 58 game in, in all its imperfections, its ups and downs, was, was number one. Not because it was the most well-played game. It's just a drama like you'll never see again. The second game was Christmas Day, Kansas City, and the Miami Dolphins, two overtimes. And that's when Kirk Gowdy said, it's not sudden death, it's sudden victory. <clears throat> so now the Buffalo-Kansas City game, maybe even include the Patriots in the Kansas City game, when again, <clears throat> Kansas City never got the chance to. I believe that was Bill Belichick or somebody like him that proposed. When I saw this latest one, I said, what the hell are we screwing around with this for? Why don't you just say we're going to play 15 minutes? And uh, look, and then if it's still a tie at the end, it's sudden death. But it's no longer sudden death. So I, I, would, I would say now that we've gone this far and we've erased really the original idea, just play a 15-minute period. Play a 10, whatever, 10 or 15-minute period. But I'll also remind you of the difference between 58 and today. No player today outside of the quarterback and maybe a few offensive linemen <clears throat> play the full game. In those days, remember, for <clears throat> me, that all the players played 60 minutes. So one of the other things that my father felt was that by the end of regulation time, these guys are going to be exhausted because you play- – you know, you, you're going, you weren't that many years removed from players playing both ways. The really 60-minute man went out with Chuck Bednarik, Concrete Charlie. And basically, now, I mean, on every play, I said, can anybody, for Christ's sake, play near 60 minutes? We got substitutions for substitutions. So now guys do play. Now now guys do play a lot less but the regular and that's another complaint that I have there shouldn't be overtime in regular season games tell me what the hell is the difference if you tie somebody or or yes if you win but but how much difference is there in the tie versus having sudden death or whatever you want to call it during the regular season in the end, if teams tie in a conference, let's say, or they tie in their division to go to the playoffs, everything then after that, there's no playoff for that to get into the playoffs. They start going back to statistics, right? Who, who did better in, in, in head-to-head competition? And I'm saying you save things like this for the playoffs, for the championship for the Super Bowl. Why do you have to do it during the regular season? You're now having players play 17 damn games, which is, we know the reason for that. It has nothing to do with competition. It has to do with the almighty buck. So we have them play 17 regular season games and then playoff games to playoff games to get in more playoff games. And now we've added sudden death. No, I'm sorry, whatever you want to call it, to the whole recipe. I say there shouldn't be – they moved it from 15 to 10 in, in the overtime period during the regular season. I wouldn't have any overtime. And it's funny. My first year as general manager of the Patriots, uh, when they were talking about uh, having overtime, this is 1971, in the regular season, I said, for what? and I know some of the owners looked at me, I wasn't an owner, I was a general manager. I said, basically, that should be saved for special occasions. But now one of my great fears for the NFL is there are no special occasions. I mean, I get the red zone on Sunday, I see all the other games, I have three TV sets, and I'm saying, it all looks the same to me. So, find a way to make something special so back to that if you're going to have this bastardization of it that's okay with me just call it an extra period call it overtime play play 10 or 15 minutes and if it's time at the end you'll still be back to sudden death
0: <laughs> i you know one of my contentions when it comes to this is like i, I feel like the perception of the unfairness of this overtime or the previous overtime rule is just the perception and not really reality. Because, you know, you mentioned the 10-2 and two record for playoff teams, and of those uh, 12 games, only seven of those games ended on the first drive. So to me, that kind of tells me, well, it's it's not necessarily... As unfair as it's being portrayed, because people are are hammering home that you know the ten wins and you know for me I, I don't necessarily care if a team wins past the first possession because they both had a chance quote unquote and if you look at the big picture since this rule was implemented I think it's only somewhere between seventeen and nineteen percent that teams that win the coin toss actually win on the first drive which which again eighty percent of the games both teams get a chance. So I don't see necessarily a problem. Um, I can live with where they brought the the game now, the, the overtime rule, because I don't think it necessarily will hurt the game. I, I, I think it's pointless in my opinion. But like I mentioned before, my biggest fear is that eventually this NFL overtime is going to turn into a college like overtime setup, and I wonder if you share those same concerns because uh, I, that's a,
1: that's yeah. a, that's the that's the first thing I thought of. Are we going to go to that ridiculous college thing? Let's take the ball on the twenty, and and uh, let's go patsy this and patsy that. Listen, you know why we got to this? Because enough coaches bitched about it, <laughs> and uh, yes. they're they're uh, they're on the competition committee. I mean, the one coach is talking about it. You know, in the last two or three days, it's who the coach of Buffalo, who who actually cost his team the championship and the and the ability to go on to the Super Bowl. I mean, what happened? How, how many seconds were left? Twenty-two seconds.
2: Thirteen. Something. Thirteen, 13 seconds.
1: 13. Thir- Thirteen seconds. If if you kick the ball short. And and they are forced to run it. You you're four or five seconds off off that let's say. That leaves you six or seven seconds, eight at the most, to take get the ball in a position to kick the field goal. Ain't going to happen, gentlemen. It is not going to happen. So whose fault is that? That's the coach. And who's who's the person that's talking about it so much afterwards? The Buffalo coach. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, right. so look, look, look at the people that are complaining. Listen, I know my father was a quarterback, but he's also a lot of people forget the reason I think he be, went on to become a great commission. He was a player, but he's also a coach. And he used to say, Oh my God, these coaches are bitching again. I don't know. I was one, you know, the, 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 no, there's no happiness in a coach's life. It's always complaining. Even the greatest of it. And I understand that. But the game is now being taken over by that. And the other thing is, too much is listened to. Well, let's let's do everything we can to make the public happy. Let's take defense out of the game. Uh, the public wants offense. Let's make it the quarterback kill. They want to see their quarterback. And I understand that part of it. Let's penalize the defense. I can tell you this: some of the greatest games I've ever seen were like ten, seven games, or twenty to seventeen where where you're you're having the great defensive struggle. I don't say you need to see it every week, but we you've been robbed of that whole thing and And again, now that we have thirty two teams maybe 16 of them you're interested in and the rest, you know, it's out there. But you've got to listen internally to what your game is really about. And I just really wonder if everything that we've gotten to, whether it's now gambling and and all of the extra things on the side that have become part of the game, is it really in the end good for the game? I don't know because the television ratings continue to be good and as long as they're good i i think i think that they are capable of doing anything changing any rule of making it just like the college game as long as the public watches the minute the public begins to not watch then you'll see maybe a change back to sanity or reality
2: yeah no i i agree with you upton and we're speaking with Upton Bell on the eye test for two. And Upton, I got one last question for you. You talk about changes. There have been a myriad of changes, right? No defense. NFL's embraced gambling. We've gone to extended overtimes. Uh, So many changes. If you had the ability to make one, I make you commissioner for day, what's the one change you would make in today's game to maybe, maybe be either bring drama back or create more interest. It's got a ton of interest anyway, but. Uh, to create uh, as much or, or more interest, uh, what would you do to change today's game?
1: Well, first and foremost, realizing and taking into
2: consideration,
1: the athletes are so great today; they are so good that they've almost, you know, outdone everything that you can put a rule in. Uh, but what? Well, first, first thing I I would do, not pertaining directly to the game on the field, is I would have nothing to do with gambling. I think it's go- I think it's going to be. Uh, a lot of bad stories just like we saw with the Atlanta receiver losing eleven million dollars on a fifteen hundred dollar bet. Uh you're gonna see more and more of that. But putting aside on the field, I would bring defense back somewhat. Me too. Uh, I, I, I I I would I would try to even it up. There are so many damn really good defensive players out there. I mean the, you you got two hundred and sixty pound linebackers that can run faster than, than most people, and and I, I, you want to see them. You want to see look at the cornerbacks that you have now. I, I mean, the, I think back to a guy like Night Train Lane back in the 50s and early 60s, and six foot four, 200 some pounds. Maybe today he would be one of the great. But why can't we feature those great corners, those linebackers that can run like crazy? at 260, 270 pounds, at least give the defense a chance to make part of these games instead of sometimes these lopsided, you know, 40 to 10 games. Maybe it would would also help some of those bad teams that you see out there that maybe, that don't have the quarterback. Because let's face it, gentlemen, if you don't have a quarterback today, you don't win. You don't have a chance because of the way the game's made it. But if you came back a little bit more to making the defense as important or more important, at least, there could be teams like you had all the way up to the 2000s that could be in the game defensively. Patriots don't win the 2001 Super Bowl without that great defense. That totally stopped the greatest show on turf. Brady was just coming into his own. He was not the great quarterback then. He did a good job game managing. But that defense won. And many of those early Patriot teams of the early 2000s, they won defensively. Can't we have at least some of that back again? I don't think we will.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Upton. As a matter of fact, when you talk about low-scoring games, Ian knows this because he's heard me way too much on here. But my favorite series, my favorite rivalry Is Baltimore, Pittsburgh. It's usually like 14 to 10 or 17 to 14, and their defensive struggles. And I sometimes worry when I see all these rule changes that it's not the league (laughs) office that's making those changes, it's fantasy football. Let's keep putting more rules changes to benefit fantasy football and indirectly uh, gambling, I guess. But anyway, that's just uh, my editorial today.
1: Can can I quickly say about the fantasy football? Yeah. And here's a real lesson for people in the future. I have two grandsons uh like eighteen and twenty they and 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 their whole group they 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 are involved with a group around the country It has like five hundred thousand followers, and these are people between the age of eighteen and let's say thirty thirty five something like that. Mm-hmm. I said, How many games do you watch a week or a year? Oh hardly any I said well are you really interested in in the NFL well yeah but not so much well, why are you in fantasy football it's a form of, of gambling because it's about numbers and and uh, it's about getting the right players on your team and everything else like that well so I said well how do you follow it on Sunday they go to their phone they don't yeah. watch the game
2: That's and right. and
1: you know what in the future uh, the NFL better hope that fantasy football and a lot of these other like electronic games that they're doing, that that doesn't encourage people not to watch them because the networks will say, we don't have enough eyeballs. We're not going to pay you these millions of dollars anymore.
2: Yeah, you're right. Up to Bell. Thanks so much for the history lesson. Thanks for the education. Great to hear from you. And you know what? When Ian Glendon and I draft our next fantasy football team, you're our general manager.
1: Call me. Collect.
2: <laughs> you got it, Upton. <laughs> Take care. Of that. that was a lot of fun. Hey, hey, Thank hey, you, as always.
1: Hey, hey, fellas, hey, hey, I want uh, I want to get a copy of this, and I'm going to, I want to put it into the Upton Bell collection because stuff like you guys are doing is all going to be in that collection. So there's there's That's going the to be a whole whole area of 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 people that are historians and people like you guys. That that people be able to click on and hear these interviews.
2: You can make us famous, Upton. No, Believe it. You're making me no. famous. <laughs> you Upton, guys are so famous.
1: Are you kidding me?
2: <laughs> thanks so much, Upton. We will send that to you.
1: Thank you. Good luck, guys. Go
2: that was Upton Bell and Ian. I couldn't agree with them more. Drama. That's what yeah. it's all about. Couldn't agree with them more. I know you and I are probably in a minority. I'm not probably. We are in a minority. But enough already. <laughs> Let's you know these games. just going to go on forever and ever. Well, Please. I mean,
0: I mean, look. I mean, people over the last couple of days have tried to convince me that this doesn't somehow devalue the defense, and and I ask a very simple question. Well, before, under no circumstance could you allow a touchdown in overtime. Now. Yeah it's, well, it's okay if you allow one, it's it's fine. So to me, yes, that that is the definition of devaluing the defense. And, and, and again, you know, I, I've I've kind of been talking about this for, well, obviously the last few days, but all season last year on our morning show, every Monday or Tuesday I feel like I'd come in and be like, hey, look, another overtime game, didn't end on the first possession, both teams got a chance, and it was over and over and over again. So the perception of a problem just doesn't exist. And, you know, to me, what we had was when you were on defense, you had to do the absolute bare minimum to have a chance. And by that, I mean technically you could allow 98 yards on the ground, allow a field goal, and you'll still have a chance to win the game. On offense, you can only score a touchdown to win the game on your first possession. So to me, there was nothing wrong with the problem before. I can live with where it's at now, because ultimately we're right back to where we started. And I I think once people realize that, that's when it's going to be a problem. And I think that's when momentum for bigger changes are eventually going to happen. And that's where I'll I'll draw the line.
2: (laughs) Okay, let's draw the line in another area. When we began, I mentioned what happened at last weekend's Oscars. I wasn't watching, you weren't, I don't think, but we all know what happened. Uh, something we never expected and something that still is in the headlines, got an amazing shelf life. And so I started thinking, is there anything comparable to that in NFL history? And yeah, there is, and there are. And and the first thing I thought of, Ian, I go way back, farther, a lot farther than you do. But I thought of that December 11th, 1971 game between the Baltimore Colts and the Miami Dolphins, fourth quarter, when a drunken fan, got out of the stands, ran onto the field. Colts are on defense. Dolphins are on offense. Picks up the football field, and the fans are going crazy. And out of nowhere, Mike Mad Dog Curtis comes at him like a heat-seeking missile and just drops him to the ground and walks away. And afterwards, he was asked, why'd you do that? And he goes, simple. He wasn't supposed to be on the field.
0: That's pretty simple. Yeah. Well, when, when when you brought that up to me, I it, I quickly you know went right to Super Bowl thirty eight because uh, Matt Chatham, a member of the New England Patriots at the ch- at the time, uh, had uh, a, a quite a devastating tackle on a streaker of 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 their own oh, yeah. during that game. And uh, obviously, Matt's a great follow on Twitter, and and uh, you know knows a lot about football. Fun to fun to listen to him. But I always think about that because it, it was amazing to me that the streaker was able to get out into the middle of the field and actually dance for, for an extended period of time. And this, this was the Janet Jackson Super Bowl, so there, there sure. was a lot of things going on during this, during this you know event, the Patriots versus the Panthers. Um, but he got a chance to get out there, dance at center, center field for a few seconds, and then start running, and then out of nowhere. Matt Chatham, just nice form tackle, drops him on the ground. It was, it was, it was beautiful. But well,
2: you know what to remember about that game? Because I was there. Yeah. Uh, going into the stadium, Vito Stellino mm-hmm. who is a, um, a former writer and is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame on the wall, at least um, for writers and broadcasters. But Vito Stellino's going into the game to cover it. And he got stopped by security because he had a box M&Ms. Get rid of the M&Ms. You can't bring them in. You're crazy. No, you can't get them. You can't bring them in. But... The most sacred part of the stadium is the football field. And so you don't have any, any M&Ms, but you've got a naked guy running out on the field. How does that happen? I just, how does that happen? Um, I, 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 it was just unreal.
0: Well, it, it, it's, it's funny because, I mean, obviously we're not going to get every angle. Like, you know, this is too, well, January, or February of 2004, technically. Um, so we're not going to get every angle we're not going to get cell phone shots I mean if we did it was grainy and and terrible at best so yeah. you know we're not going to see all those angles but it's still hard to believe that a guy I mean he looked like a big guy too was just casually able to derobe and and run yeah. onto the field and again spend as much time as he did out there before getting you know his his face planted into the dirt by one Mr. Well, Matt Chatham good well, job good as he
2: He didn't have a box of M&Ms. Thank goodness for that. Yes, yes. The other thing I'll mention, another one came to mind. 1993 game between the Jets and the Houston Oilers. Buddy Ryan, Kevin Gilmore. Does that ring a bell? Sidelines. Assistant (sighs) coaches with the Oilers. Buddies to the defense. Kevin's on the offense. The Oilers are up 14-0 near the end of the first half. I think there were 24 seconds left. Cody Carlson. Fumbles at his own 18. Fumbles. Buddy Ryan. To Kevin Gilbride, what in God's name are you doing? Punches him. So there's a sideline brawl between two coaches of the same team, and Rex Ryan, Buddy's son, was in the stands, and he said later, "I saw that and went, Dad, you've got to be kidding me." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, you know, this this uh, you actually kind of reminded me of one more. I'm gonna I'm gonna go cross sports here because there you, we, we can't talk about audience and host interactions without mentioning the Boston Bruins of the 1970s. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, of course I was not alive for this, but I did grow up in the, the great northeast, uh, New England, and uh, am a an avid Boston Bruins fan. So anyone who's anyone as a Boston Bruins fan knows about the fights that extended into the stands with the fans and the throwing. Yeah, you, know, you can't mention those these type of interactions without bringing that up. I know it's not football, but I had to throw that out there.
2: Yeah. Well, I remember that as well. Well, Ian, you know what? Sorry sorry to say, but that's going to do it. We're out of time. That's going to do it. Um, Thanks so much for stepping in for Ira. Um, We've got either the Smokey Burgess or Gates Brown Award here. I don't know if you remember (laughs) them, but uh, they were pinch hitters way back when. Ira would remember them, but you know what? Ira's not here, so... Well, I think I think he should you should be
0: more concerned if this is a Wally Pip situation or not. So we'll <laughs> see. Not. We'll see what happens. Yeah,
2: We'll see if he comes back. Who knows whether <laughs> he's coming back? Anyway, we'll be back next week. Ian and I, I don't know about our, Ian and I will be back. Uh, until then, let's see. I test for two. And Ian, thanks so much. And thank you out there for listening. We'll be back next week. See you then.